0: Welcome to Family Owned, a legacy leadership podcast, exploring generational leadership success for family businesses, brought to you by the Ole Miss Center for Innovation and Entrepreneurship. If you're ready to take your family-owned business to new and perpetual heights, stay tuned to hear compelling insight from experienced business leaders who will help you set your business up for generational advancement, whether you want to go public, stay private, or make international inroads. Now, Keep listening for how to leave an enduring legacy through exceptional leadership.
1: And I'm fortunate here to be joined uh, by Dudley Woolley and Jordan Bryan with Ross and Yerger. Uh, Dudley is the uh, CEO of Ross and Yerger, and Jordan Bryan is the vice president there also. And by the way, I'm Dr. Clay Dibrill. I'm a professor of management and the co-director for the Center for Innovation and Entrepreneurship here at the University of Mississippi. And we're fortunate enough to have Dudley and Jordan with us th- today because we're following up on the previous podcast when Dudley left us at a cliffhanger which i love so we wanted to talk That's about funny. that talk about that real quickly here in terms of uh Dudley you mentioned in the previous uh podcast uh with the two of you regarding captive insurance could you explain a little bit more about captive insurance and how that could apply to both commercial and employee benefits
2: yes thanks clay um yeah insurance is, is always such a riveting topic so i like the cliffhanger <laughs> uh <laughs> comment there. Um, so captive insurance is has been around for a long time and uh, probably in the last 20 years, captive insurance has become more of a common topic for what we call our uh, middle market type size business. And so if you are interested in taking a more active role in trying to control the cost of insurance, captive solutions may be applicable to your business. Um, if, On the commercial insurance side, if you're paying premiums in excess of, let's say $150,000 or more a year for your general liability, your workers' compensation, and your auto liability coverages, you may be a candidate for a captive insurance solution. And that's where you pull together your monies that you would normally set aside to pay fully insured premiums with other like-minded businesses and you take on a higher level of deductible or risk for each and every claim that you may have. But the opportunity is instead of paying that premium and never seeing it returned to you if you've had a better than average year claims wise, uh, with a captive solution, you have the opportunity to recoup those premiums plus the interest that might have, have been earned on those premiums while you sit there and wait to see how your claims year has developed. So in a very simple way, that's how captive insurance works. It's a similar concept on employee benefits. Uh, If you're even fully insured or self-funded, you can join with other like-minded employers and put some of your money at risk with the opportunity to get it back on the back end. Uh, There's also ways to structure contracts that are more favorable than you could purchase on your own as an individual business. And so there are a lot of benefits uh, with captive insurance solutions. But th- the main takeaway is uh, for a, a smaller to middle-sized business that normally would not have had access to that in the past, there are lots of different solutions that are available today.
1: That's excellent. So basically you're pooling risk, but you're also pulling the the buying power to be able to purchase even hopefully better insurance at a lower cost. than That's correct. Than
2: otherwise. Exactly.
1: Very cool. Very cool. Uh, So following up on that, and you mentioned health and employee benefits and things like that. Let's talk a little bit about group health. Should a family business have group health insurance for their company?
2: I think the short answer is yes. Health insurance is a great benefit uh, for all the employees of a business, whether they're family or not. The key for family members is to make sure that they're eligible for the coverage. Sometimes we've seen in a family-run business, sometimes you have family members who are being compensated. They're on the, quote-unquote, the payroll, but they may not be actively at work. And that's a very important phrase in the health insurance industry because uh, normally to be eligible for benefits, you have to be actively at work and averaging 30 or more hours a week that you are actively at work. And so the, the danger is... Uh, Perhaps that you have a family member who's being compensated, but they're not actively at work in the business, and they're certainly not there 30 or more hours a week on average. And if they have claims, and those claims are audited by the health insurance company, there could be some repercussions where the health insurance company come back and says, unfortunately, you weren't eligible for coverage, so we want our money back. So we really consult and advise our family-owned businesses who may have that going on in their business to be very careful how they structure the health insurance. Instead of having coverage for individuals, which may be less expensive, they need to stay collectively insured as a family where at least one person who's employed there in the family is working full-time and is active in the business and can cover the other dependents accordingly. So that's our best advice.
1: So to that point, just to clarify a little bit, because it's a really excellent answer by you in terms of the nuances associated versus active. So let's say I have a brother. My brother is working in the business. I am more of a passive investor, but I am, quote, under the health umbrella for uh, for the company. But then something unfortunate happens to me, and I don't have my own personal insurance for whatever reason, but I, I think I'm covered. Under that kind of example, I would not be covered. Is that basically the when I'm not working in the company? That
2: That's correct. You would not be eligible for coverage. And if you were on the plan for whatever reason, uh, you might could fly under the radar, as we say. But if you had large claims and they were audited by the insurance company and they discovered that you weren't eligible to be on the plan, then that would be a potential issue. Okay. And obviously, just by being a family member doesn't mean that you are are automatically covered or that you're even eligible for coverage. So you really need to be advised accordingly on that.
1: Excellent. That's a great answer. And I love how you put that too. Cause once again, as we know, these podcasts are more just an information. And yeah. if you want more details, come see you, for example, Ross and Yerger for that. Uh, what about, let, just, go ahead, Jordan, add, please. I
3: was going to add one thing to that. Cause you asked, should a family business offer benefits? And just aside from the technicalities of the plan, Offering a benefits plan to your employees is a very good retention and recruitment tool for trying to retain talent. So if you're trying to build a business, having that offering to, whether it's family, but also non-family members that work in your business is a huge benefit to bring in people to work for your business. So doubling down, yes, it's a it's a great opportunity and they should offer that. Obviously, depending on the size and the technicality, lots of moving parts to that, but it's a great opportunity. And
1: once again, a great opportunity to retain talent uh, that you want to keep versus yep. them going to look somewhere else or doing a part-time job somewhere else to get that at yep. a larger company. Excellent. Uh, what about disability insurance for key family members? I hear a lot about disability insurance. Uh, talk. Could you explain a little bit more about the benefits and should a family member have that?
3: Yeah, I'll t- tackle that one. You know, in our last podcast, we talked about key man life insurance, and that is to supplement the uh, loss of a key business person, uh, key executive, key salesperson. Disability insurance is similar, but it's not for the death of an individual. It is for somebody becoming disabled and not being able to perform the duties of their job. So similar in the sense that if the business were to have a um, financial burden because a key executive or a key salesperson cannot perform the duties of their job, not only from a personal standpoint we carry disability or we recommend disability insurance because if i've you know uh, i'm a surgeon i've gone to school for all these years and i become disabled and i can't earn an income for the rest of my life that is where you want to have disability insurance to kick in and provide for my family and for my loss of income Um, for the business especially small businesses where you have a key employee that maybe does most of the the you know runnings of the business if something were to happen to them and they weren't able to do the job then having some kind of disability policy that supports the business is important too. So it keeps the office running and can, you know, move forward even in that type of situation. So similar to key man, but it's not a death situation. It's a disabling situation where you can't perform the duties of the job. Excellent.
0: Family owned businesses account for 64% of the U.S. gross domestic product, generate 62% of the country's employment and account for 78% of all new job creation. For more information on becoming a part of the Legacy Leadership Program, visit our website at olemiss.edu CIE. The Legacy Leadership Podcast is sponsored by the Ergon Foundation, Do Good Work, and the CELO Agency, Creative Vision, the ability to see what is and what can be.
1: Once again, we're here today with Dudley Woolley and Jordan Bryden from Ross and Jurger. Uh, very fortunate to have both of you here with us on that. So thank you very much for taking your time to do that. Uh, and this is kind of falling, but once again, this gets back to what we had in our earlier podcast. So if you haven't had a chance to listen to that, please do. Uh, it's excellent. So what type of insurance do most family business owners not have that they probably should? Because this is a classic, like, oh, I didn't know I needed that. So what mm-hmm. what do you see? I'm sure there's a pattern out there.
2: Yeah, that's a great question, Clay. You know, it's uh, there. There are three types of coverage that I wrote down that uh, I think are most commonly overlooked by family businesses. One is executive liability. Talked about it in our last podcast, but it basically does three things: provides protection for directors and officers liability situations, employment practices, and fiduciary liability. Um, the first two, D&O and employment practices, you know those are commonly overlooked because i think in family businesses in particular sometimes there's a sense of trust and loyalty that's assumed on the part of it because it's run by family members and they say well they're they're you know nothing bad's going to happen to us or we're not going to do anything to get us in trouble potentially um and so uh it needs to be discussed and explored with your insurance advisor another newer type of coverage is cyber liability. And that is the protection of personally identifiable information, protected health information, those two things, uh, whether it's in electronic format or paper format, uh, but but those types of exposures are now solely covered by cyber liability policies. You won't get coverage elsewhere. And so that needs to be discovered and dis- explored uh, further. And then lastly, crime and employee dishonesty, going back to my my point about a false sense of, uh, confidence in the people around you. Oh, well, they'll never steal from me. Well, unfortunately, bad things happen and people get in situations and they're desperate and they will do things, uh, that will hurt the family business, either embezzle money or take assets, uh, uh, out the back door, whatever the case is. Even in the nonprofit world, we see these types of claims happen very often. And so, we we think it's important to at least understand the exposure and decide if you need to purchase coverage accordingly
1: and and follow up on the crime and employee dishonesty policy how would that work do you have to file like a police report or how i mean cuz you what you said trust and when they violate yeah. the trust and then the embarrassment associated potentially with that
2: unfortunately the the hurdle and the burden is pretty high for the insured when they have an employee dishonesty policy because they typically do have to file charges against the person that has wronged them and that is an emotional decision that has to be made you know am i willing to do that or not because of all the fallout and ramifications for other people that might be involved so that's the first thing we say when we get that phone call from someone who has the coverage like are you prepared to do this because it's typically the first step that the insurance adjuster is going to want you to take.
1: Excellent. Excellent. So following up on the insurance industry overall, and I think this kind of gets right at what Ross and Yarger's business model does also in terms of what does an underwriter do and how is an underwriter different from an agent or a broker?
2: Great question. Again, the underwriter works for the insurance company. The underwriter is typically who we, the agent or broker Is interacting with on behalf of the family business or the business owner. And so the underwriter's job is ultimately to either say, yes or no, we're willing to take on this risk. And to get to that answer, uh, they're going to be looking at what type of business is it? Jordan talked about that earlier on our previous podcast. And what type of business are they in? What are the terms that they're looking for? What rates? Uh, do we think are appropriate based on what our insurance company has in their, in their files already. You know, we write a lot of this business or we don't write very much of it. Well, that can influence what the rate is that they're willing to put on it. And that's why we as an independent agent deal with multiple underwriters at different companies is because they all look at things a little differently from the other. So we're trying to find the best deal, the best terms, the best pricing for our clients. And so, again, the underwriter ultimately is the one that says, yes or no, I'm willing to take this risk, and here's how much I'm going to charge for it.
3: And you'll find, you know, it, we work with a lot of different companies, uh, both on the personal and the commercial side, but you'll find that different companies have a more of an expertise or a... Um interest in writing certain types of business versus others don't, you know, some may really like medical offices and some may not have an expertise in that. So finding, identifying the company that really specializes in that type of business and then getting an underwriter that understands the exposures is, is a key part of what we do all day, every day, navigating that conversation for our clients.
1: So, and and I know the actuary tables always come into play, especially for the underwriter. Explain a little bit though, in terms of scarcity, is scarcity a, The reason for this, or is it literally just expertise? Like if I am, I don't know, an underwriter really focuses on uh, the crime and dishonesty, uh, employee dishonesty right there, my rates may be lower just because I have a better understanding of it, or is it just a scarcity? It's
2: really both. Uh, Yeah, yeah, we're in a quote-unquote hard market right now, and so uh, insurance companies' appetites and willingness to do things is, is more difficult now than it was five years ago. And there, again, there are a multitude of factors that go into to why is that the case? But unfortunately, scarcity has become uh, an issue that's really been magnified.
3: And it, it has on the personal side. You know, my expertise is private client personal insurance. So when it comes to homes, autos, the scarcity is a issue on our side. And we've seen a lot of companies tighten up on what they're willing to write, especially in a uh, wind-prone state like Mississippi. With I mean, you think about the last several months in all of the wind and hail and tornadic activity that we've had. We've started seeing companies really push back on what they're willing to write because they don't want to have too much exposure in a certain state. That's what Florida is dealing with. They They have capacity issues from a reinsurance perspective, and there's only so much they can take. So when they look at the risk, they want to take the best, most protected, well-built homes. And if you don't fit in that, Either you're going to be charged a really high premium or you're going to be ineligible and have to go somewhere else. So it's it's both, like Dudley said.
1: And then to wrap us up here, uh, what personal insurance advice do you offer family businesses? And Jordan, since you were just talking about this and personal insurance and your expertise, mm-hmm. yep.
3: what advice do you have? Oh, all sorts of advice. So, you know, where Dudley looks under the lens of a business, my job and our team and our private client department is to really work with the individuals. So sit down with the families, look at what do you own from a personal standpoint? Homes, uh, you know, valuable article collections, jewelry, art, uh, personal autos. Do you, you know, what kind of makes up somebody's personal portfolio? Do you own one home or five homes? Do you have boats, ATVs, teenage drivers, all the things that could potentially impact me and my personal assets, that is a whole different conversation than looking under the lens of a business and ensuring the cyber liability and the executive liability. So we navigate that in a marketplace, very similar to the business side, but we have a different subset of companies that we work with. Um, And I'll add one of the coverages earlier, you asked the question about what do family businesses need from a coverage standpoint that they aren't often buying. If I had to say from a personal perspective the number one thing that I recommend business owners having is a personal umbrella policy. A lot of times we sit down with clients that, you know, they bought a home, they got a car and they don't ever look at their insurance again. And as somebody's net worth grows over time, you want to make sure that your insurance updates accordingly. So the umbrella is what sits on top of your home and your auto and and any other assets that you own and it really protects you from a financial standpoint if somebody were to sue you for all of your net worth from a personal standpoint. It's such an easy product, but many people aren't educated on having that or having enough. You know, if I'm worth $50 million, I don't need to be carrying a $1 million umbrella. That umbrella needs to keep up with your growing assets and also know about all the exposures that it's covering. So um, navigating that piece, every time we sit down with a client, it's like putting all the pieces of a puzzle together and making sure that it fits and all the exposures are covered. So that's kind of the fun that we get to do with each household individually.
1: Brilliant. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and with that, I just want to say thank you, Dudley, and also Jordan. Uh, you, you've educated me, and I'm sure you've educated our audience, too. Thank you for taking time uh, to do this. And thank you for listening to this edition of the Legacy Leadership Family-Owned Podcast. Thank you, and have a great week.
0: Thank you for listening to this edition of Family-Owned, a Legacy Leadership Podcast exploring family businesses who make up the backbone of the American economy. Join us next time to gain invaluable insight into your family business and how to make generational advancements for your family, industry, and community.